Hi, you're listening to Kill the Cat. Welcome to episode one of our Marvel Madness series. Today, we're talking about Captain America and how flat change arcs can be used to create inspiring characters. As a special treat, we're also joined by Brian Bittner, a writer for Lessons from the Screenplay and co-host of their podcast, Beyond the Screenplay. Brian provides some great insight into the character, and we're going to leave some links to his work in the show notes. Spoilers ahead for the Avengers and Captain America movies. But now, sit back and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Kill the Cat. Another fun episode planned today. We have our second guest on the show, Mr. Brian Bittner from Lessons from the Screenplay and uh, Beyond the Screenplay podcast. Uh, did you want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about how you got into this and what's your deal? Uh, and I mean, you said everything. That, that's that's all, that's all I am. Oh, you are. Uh, <laughs> No, um, I uh, I started um, writing for Lessons from the Screenplay with Michael Tucker and his uh, brilliant YouTube channel, and we sort of formed a small team of four of us, and then the four of us decided to start a podcast, and as our lives have gotten busier, the YouTube channel, which is spend two months writing a nine minute video, you know, has become <laughs> the harder and harder to keep going, whereas the podcast, which is just every week, watch a movie, and say hopefully insightful things about it has become easier so the podcast has become our uh focus at the moment um so yeah it's beyond the screenplay and we are at 100 plus episodes and uh still going so that's been very fun and rewarding it's funny because we also started trying to make video essays and Mm -hmm. quickly realized how much work and time video essays was yeah and we were going to do like a podcast to go with our video essays to like show our progress and and we went, podcasts are so much easier and less <laughs> yeah. time consuming. Uh, so the video essay channel kind of died, but the podcast kept going. Right. I don't think the video essay channel ever actually got to a point where it properly existed. existed. <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember trying to cut one of them and I'm just, I was, I spent hours and hours just trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't going to be a long-term solution. Yeah. But good to have you on. We've been fans of the uh, channel for a long time. I'm saying all the way back in film school, it was like every frame of painting and lessons from the screenplay. Yeah. Like those were the two that everyone watched, uh, everyone paid attention to. That was definitely before my time too, because it was it was sort of someone sent me a lessons from the screenplay video, and I was like, I was writing uh, for a movie website at the time, and I was like, I kind of write columns similar to this. Yeah. And I reached out to Michael. It turned out we had mutual friends. We lived in the same town and everything. So then that sort of went from there. But oh wow, yeah, I was not there for the for like the dark knight video and those huge things that was all just yeah. pure michael at the time i'm sure having someone else come on board as a writer would have been uh, very helpful yeah i think it took a lot of the the stress off of him once we had a team and not just everything <laughs> on his own all right well for today we are talking about something that you've written an episode for uh for mm-hmm. lessons from the screenplay and that is captain america so our inspiration for this actually came from an interview with Talison jaffe so he's currently on critical role i don't know if you're into dungeons and dragons at all um but it's a it's a like a live uh dungeons and dragons show basically right uh, and but it's all voice actors and so he's a voice actor and he talked about one of his characters kind of being this character where the world had to like he wasn't going to change the world had to change around him and that was the kind of character he was playing and he compared that to captain america 
And then we were kind of like, oh, that's an interesting like way to look at a character arc. And then we discovered there was more language for it. And then we sort of saw your take on Captain America versus Iron Man and the two very different but kind of parallel stories they go on. So, yeah, so that's kind of the intro to how we got to where we are today. And that's kind of now become how to write inspiring characters and using this mm-hmm. idea of a flat change arc um, or a character who is tested rather than has to grow. They kind of right. come to us as good people and we just have to prove that. Yeah, so through my um, 2020 lockdown, I decided to rewatch all Marvel properties up to that point. Mm-hmm. And when I got to the first Avenger... I was like, it's really interesting that Steve Rogers is as good a character as he is because it would have been so easy to make him boring or make him preachy because you already have this character with a really strong moral center and then he gets a serum which makes good great and that happens at the end of the first act. And I'm like, how do you keep that character interesting and inspiring if they're already as good as they can be and then they got made better somehow Mm -hmm. so that was also like part of the inspiration of like i really want to break down why this character works so well yeah it's it's really interesting you know i'm excited to talk about his arc just in the first movie because i spent so much time writing a video about his arc and tony's arc over the course of the infinity saga you know Mm. which that stemmed from me listening to the uh, screenwriters on kevin smith's podcast and stephen mcfeely had these two quotes that i wrote down one was tony's arc and steve's arc kind of cross where tony learns to become more magnanimous and more selfless and steve learns to become a little more self-interested and the other one was tony gets to become complete when he loses his life and steve becomes complete when he gets one Mm. and uh, that just stuck with me and i made a note and then that eventually turned into a pitch which turned into an outline which turned into a script and then the team made it so much better than i ever could have but it still felt like yes that was the Mm. thing i wanted to write was you have these two characters their first movie they don't change very much right steve like absolutely refuses to change as we'll get into tony he has a positive change arc but still he ends being like i'm gonna play by my own rules i'm gonna tell people i'm iron man right screw everyone right um and then in civil war you have this brilliant change where tony becomes kind of the company man and steve becomes the rebel Mm. um but then of course they're both in just a terrible place in that movie basically and then by the end of endgame tony has sacrificed himself for the greater good so he has completely made that that 180 and then cap decides to go back and have a life and meet Peggy at the dance, right? Yeah. And actually not have to like be Captain America forever. And I just thought that was so fascinating. So I rewatched everything and tracked all the little moments where, you know, in Avengers, like Tony's like, oh, Fallen Rule's not really my style or whatever. Yeah. You see these little things, but then whatever Tony tells Cap makes Cap kind of start questioning S.H.I.E.L.D., mm. which then leads into Winter Soldier, which leads into you know Age of Ultron. It's just really neat how all of that um, happens over the course of many movies. But as you were saying, Kat, that's all happens after the first Avenger, right? Where we have a character who it's like, over the course of many movies, of course, that character has to change, or otherwise it would be boring and terrible. Yeah. But in one movie, you can give a character a flat arc and actually make it compelling, largely due to the world and the other characters and, you know, all this stuff we'll get into. But that was sort of the, the impetus for me uh, writing the video about Cap's 11-year character arc, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to talk about what the sort of flat arc is? Yes, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. Uh, So this comes from a book called Creating Character Arcs by K.M. Wyland. 
The idea that like Wyland really gets into is that there's a truth and there's a lie. So in a positive change arc, the lie will be within the protagonist um, and they have to overcome that within themselves to face their truth. But in a flat change arc, the lie is out there in the real world and it's just thrown up against the protagonist's like truth and they have to really, really fight for that truth. Um, another word for it is the testing arc. So for example, Steve's is basically like, there shouldn't be bullies, we should stand up to them no matter what. No matter the cost, no matter the price. Uh, we always gotta get back up and keep fighting. And the MCU just keeps putting him in more and more complicated situations to test that inner truth for him. I could do this all day. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about, because there it's interesting, there are different reasons for flat character arcs. And we're getting into one specific one, but I was thinking about the different like kind of subsets of them. One of which is something like Raiders of the Lost Ark or James Bond or a lot of action movies where mm -hmm. it's like, it's just not interested in having a character arc, yeah. at least not for the protagonist. It's sort of like they want something badly and we are going to spend 90 minutes throwing things at them so they can't get what they yeah. want and they will get it at the end. And that's a valid way to do a movie it's not super interesting you know james bond didn't become an interesting character mm. until daniel craig when they gave him character arcs that doesn't mean james bond's not a great character that doesn't mean there haven't been great james bond movies before daniel craig but that was the first time we started going "Ooh, what's going on with this guy you know yeah. uh, and same with captain america it's like once you start following his arc over the uh, infinity saga you start really kind of digging into him mm. um, but there are just movies that aren't super interested in having a a character arc um and you know, if you're trying to do that in your script, be careful because your movie better be damn good or else. Um, yeah. I think to like John Wick, right? Like, Yeah, I was thinking that too, yeah. He just wants revenge. Right. That's it. Yeah, like, puppy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's his puppy. Stole yeah. his car. We're all on side as soon as the puppy dies. Like, right. We're there. Or we're else. just like, yep. yep. Yes. You we're want... with this guy. We don't need to change arc. We'll just follow him. A hundred percent. Uh, and then I would argue John Wick Chapter 2 isn't super interesting because the entire plot of the movie is just like, here's another mission. Mm. And, you know, and it's like, I like 2, I like 3, but like 2 especially is just like, welp, we have a character yeah. with no character arc, and instead of giving him one, we're just going to give him more stuff to go do, mm. you know. And then you have a movie like Clockwork Orange, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with, but the, the, the simple one-liner is like, it's a terrible person. He is in jail, and they put him through this program to try to change him and he refuses to change. Like we kind, of, we kind of think that he's going to, but by the end it's like, no, 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 you can't change someone who doesn't want to change. So thematically, it's sort of a victory at the end because it's like, see, you can't force change upon someone who doesn't want it. Like that's mm. kind of a good message. But we then have a character who we wanted to see change who doesn't change, right? Yeah. So it's sort of like a fail for the, for the character arc itself. So those are a couple character, like a flat arc examples, I think, that are different from what we're talking about. Mm. But what we are talking about is the sort of inspirational character yeah. who already believes what Cam Wyland would call the truth, already believes something that most of us as viewers would agree is the, the way to live your life, you know, stand up to bullies. Mm. Uh, or in the case of Paddington, you know, yeah. I forget, what's, if, the, if, what's the brilliant line? If, you know? uh, if we're kind, kind and polite, polite, the world will be right. <laughs> there you go, perfect. Right, where it's like, well, they already believe the thing, the truth, so then they are going to be tested, but also the characters around them are going to mm. be tested, and the protagonist will refuse to be let down. Yeah. Paddington, 
Wilson and Captain America and Elf comes to mind a mm-hmm. lot. Like Buddy the Elf is just this like beacon of light. And then especially the James Conn character, you know, the father of the family is like so cynical and negative and everything. And by the end, we we get to see him sing, the, yeah. you know, <laughs> like the, the sleigh won't go until he sings like, you know, the Christmas year. Um, it's like another movie with a rhyme about, uh, <laughs> about how to live your life, right? And then also Ted Lasso, which is a newer show mm-hmm. about a, a, a you know football coach who uh, is so, again so positive, basically a Buddy the Elf type character, a Paddington type character, and everyone around him is cynical. And but by refusing to change, he forces the characters around him to change. Mm-hmm. That's a TV show, so they do different things, kind of like Captain America over the Infinity yeah. Saga. They do different things with Ted, but especially in the first, I don't know, handful of episodes, three-ish episodes or something, that's exactly what it is. It's it's a Paddington elf, Captain America sort of like, we, we will not change, we refuse to give up our values, but by doing so, we are victorious and we have gotten the cynical, negative people around us to, to kind of come around to our viewpoint. Well, I think one thing that really struck me when I was rereading um, creating character arcs was the idea of like the supporting characters having the positive change arc. Mm, um, so yeah. we see in like the Winter Soldier, it's Sam and Natasha that have their arcs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Natasha starts off very, I am whoever people want me to be, who I need to be to survive, um, very in the shadows. And then she gets inspired to, you know, in the end she does the info dump and she gets asked, are you ready for the world to see who you truly are? Um, she goes, are you? And a very badass line. <laughs> um, Sam's out of the fight. He says, I saw my friend go down. I'm done with the fight. And when he meets Steve and Steve comes to his help, he says, um, Captain America needs my help. I can't think of a better reason to get back in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's interesting that in the first movie, the first movie isn't sort of interested in doing the thing that we're talking about quite as much. You know, we don't have the super cynical character who... No learns their lesson by the end. We have everyone around Steve who sort of learns to change their mind based uh, mm. about Steve at least, right? You know, it's the Tommy Lee Jones character uh, for one. It's like, oh, maybe I, maybe I misjudged this person. Maybe I wasn't thinking. But Captain America, the sort of message is not about the people around him changing. It's about the fact that because he has the flat arc, because he refuses to change, yeah he is able to remain victorious. You know, he literally sacrifices himself mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. Um, and because it's the MCU, he's fine. Uh, but, um, <laughs> he, but I think it's an interesting sort of message that the first movie is sending, which is just basically by not compromising, by not changing, mm-hmm. by not sort of like accepting the cynicism around him, he is able to effectively save the world. Yeah, yeah. and that really struck me, again, going into like, why is this character interesting? Um, Steve's like, big gesture at the end is to sacrifice himself, which is jumping on the grenade, which we've already seen him do. And that really grabbed me when I was mm-hmm. watching it. Um, so as a writer, I'm very drilled down to like, must have positive change arcs for all my characters. Um, so this mm-hmm. was like a really nice, interesting perspective on how to write a different kind of protagonist. We do get the one nice little thing that we get is that shot at the end of the kids with the shields, right? And they're running and we see like, okay, Maybe not the supporting characters, but the world mm. has sort of been changed for the better as a result of Captain America's attitude, which in Falcon of the Winter Soldier, we see what happens if a very different Captain America shows yeah. up, right? Someone who is very cynical and, and very, you know, and, and will just murder a guy in the street, basically. Um, although Steve does murder a lot of people in the first movie uh, before Disney... <laughs> I watched Winter Soldier um, a few weeks ago and like the opening scenes, I was like, 
Oh, this is yeah. really violent. He throws a knife Everyone's through someone's dying. hand. Like, like, he pins the guy's hand with like, right. a knife through the palm. I'm like, wow, Steve, that's, I'm that's just, pretty I'm like In my head, I'm like, yeah, Captain America, he's great. He's like, and then I'm like, oh, whoa, he's, a mur- he's right. murdering dudes. He's, just, he's breaking the necks. Okay, yep, forgot about this. The first movie, the very like Joe Johnston-y um, montages of him just like, busting through a door and just like shooting a bunch of people with a gun it's like oh right disney didn't have the didn't have marvel studios yet it's interesting yeah i one of the points i had written down on my notes about sort of what makes an inspiring character i think is this kind of thing we're talking about but it's this idea of like an inspiring legacy is what i've titled it and it's exactly that right like one of the sort of most important lessons i think i got taught about screenwriting was when you need audiences to know something about your character or believe something about your character have someone else in the world say that about your character or learn that about the character because a character saying about themselves you know like if iron man says he's the greatest you're like well we know you're not actually but we know you think you are um but when someone else says it it's much more believable because it's like oh we're in their shoes and we can put onto that. And so the fact that we see Captain America influence the world around him, influence the people within his team, and then we get a whole series, Falcon and Winter Soldier, about, uh, as you said, like the legacy of Captain America. And you get to see the soldier side of that in um, John Walker, and then also the symbol side of that in Sam, Mm -hmm. right? And like the symbol begins to mean something different as Sam takes it up because suddenly, you know, there's a black Captain America and that's really important to the black communities. And, you know, the other super, like Mm -hmm. the black super soldiers that got left to rot, like we still get to see this legacy going on and that from that initial character of Steve Rogers. Yeah, and you have that, I was thinking, just thinking about like inspiring other characters, that scene in Winter Soldier where we get, he's unnamed in the movie, but his name is Cameron Klein, which is the tech who refuses to launch Project Insight. Even mm-hmm. when Rumlow has like a gun against his head, he goes, no, mm-hmm. Captain's orders, I'm not doing it. And you see the remains of S.H.I.E.L.D. rise up mm-hmm. against HYDRA. Um, Captain's orders yes. is such a fun line. I love that so much. <laughs> Should we talk a little bit about, we have this inspiring character, great moral uh, compass, always sticks to it. How do you make that character likable and not preachy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Superman problem. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Superman's <laughs> ever actually solved the problem. I don't think so. No. I think that's why it's still a problem. Yeah. yeah. So we don't often think of Steve Rogers as like a funny MCU character, the way we would think of like the Guardians or like Thor or Tony Stark. But rewatching it, I'm like, he's actually pretty funny. It's just his humor isn't mean. Uh, like the first thing we mm. see in The Winter Soldier is him teasing Sam as he's lapping him and right. saying on the left. And like that's teasing, but right. it's not mean. Um, or like other lines from the first one when Bucky's like, what happened to you? And Steve's like, I joined the army. That always makes me laugh, like, every time. All right, like, obviously. <laughs> Is it permanent? So far. Um, yeah. Even just the cockiness of, like, when he's getting beaten up and he's just like, I could do this all day. It's like, you really, you clearly cannot do this all day. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a, what it comes down to a lot is dimensionality, right? Mm. So it's like, whatever your, your character, you want your character to be an archetype. So they are the cocky one, or they are the good one, or they are the wild card, whatever. But you also want your characters to be three-dimensional. And mm. it's like, how do you walk that line? Where it's like, you are this very simple two-dimensional archetype. You also are a human being. And I think that like that's exactly what you're talking about is 
you could easily make Steve be the the Superman, right? The sort of like, well, I'm just happy to help and I'll see you next time there's a problem. Mm. Bye. I'm going to go live my life of good now, right? Yeah. But instead now he's like he's he's got a little humor, he's got a little cockiness. Um and then of course as we see in the later movies, he has his own interests. In the first movie, it's what can I do that's going to be advantageous to the most people, uh, mm-hmm. to help the most people, basically. And then in the later movies, it's no, I have a friend. His name is Bucky. I need to save him. And like, that's my priority right now. My pro, you know, and, and maybe arguably, you know, even at the end of Endgame, right? Arguably, yeah. how many lives could have been saved if Captain America just continued to be Capt- being Captain America? Or did stuff in the timeline after he'd gone back in time and knew what was coming for like right. all this stuff, right? So I, sorry, little um, tangent, but I read the funniest fanfic one of my friends wrote about Steve trying to do that, but the TVA just keeps arresting him. Oh. So the fanfic was from Loki's POV, just right. watching multiple Steve Rogers get dragged through the TVA and the TVA That's being like, genius. Steve, stop. And Steve was like, no, I won't stop. It was amazing. Right. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think a lot of it comes down to dimensionality. I, I know you guys have other thoughts about this, but it's just like whatever your character is, think about what the how far can they go away from that, right? Whether it's over the course of a of an act or a film, or or if it's just in a scene where it's like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if this character who always did this did this? You know, yeah. wouldn't it be funny if like Legolas drank enough to be like, I feel a slight tingle or whatever? <laughs> like just like little <laughs> things that make you go, oh, that's a little different than what I'm used to. Hmm. I think for Steve, like. He's quite a grounded character, even though he is this sort of like, and you know, he's set up as the big inspiring patriot. You know, Loki makes fun of him. Let's have a riveting conversation about truth and justice. I like, love that that is Chris Evans pretending to be Loki, pretending to be Captain America. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but it's all throughout that he still remains human. This he still holds a bunch of the stuff after the super serum. He still struggles with women. Yeah, it's still Steve. Yeah, a little lost, a little out of time. He always just feels a little bit out of place in all his movies, like the man out of time, as they call him. I love that he's bad with girls, but in a in a kind of charming way. I had a couple of notes of like really thin lines. I felt they were walking. So one is the bad with girls thing, Um, and I think it's interesting that we don't see Steve like try to ask someone out and he strikes out or anything. It's mm. that Bucky sets him up with a date that Steve doesn't want to go on because he knows it's not going to work, immediately gets proved right, runs off and tries to join the army again. Right. And I think when he's doing that speech to Peggy of like, girls don't want to go out with a guy they might step on. I believe that it's a little bitter, but it doesn't feel like he's whining about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there's two things you could do, which would both be wrong in my, in my opinion. One would be once he gets the serum, he's great at everything. Right. Mm. So now he suddenly has all the confidence in the world to like ask women out and do all this kind of stuff. The other of which would be you really lean into he's like this buff Hulk, but he's clumsy, but he's like super clumsy and like an idiot and like doesn't know how to do anything. Right. And that would be like, that's not a superhero you want. Mm. Um, So I think they walk this really beautiful line with him in the first movie where it's like he is now. He has confidence he didn't have before. He has abilities he didn't have before, but he still doesn't quite have the social confidence, right? Or or like he doesn't know, you know, when Peggy walks in on him uh, being snogged by Marjorie Tyrell and he's like, (laughs) he could could just explain the situation, right? But he's like, but it's not what you thought, whatever, you know, he's like, he doesn't know how to, how to deal with that. And then as you're saying in the, the future movies, 
literally his future, he is the man out of time. So we spend a good couple movies with him being like, I don't get that reference. Like, I need to catch up on on the world. Yeah. I need to know what this is. You know, oh, I, I understood that reference because like that's mm. an old one from from my time. So I think that's that's part of what's fun about it. And I think I keep thinking of Superman now. It's interesting to see uh, Marvel and DC have their sort of the characters that were clearly inspired by the yeah. other. So it's like you have Batman and Iron Man, right? Like the billionaire who doesn't have any powers, but like, has, you know, he has the, the tech basically. And then Superman uh, and Wonder Woman, you kind of have in Captain America and Thor, you know, you could sort of interchange certain uh, parts of them. And I think what's interesting about Superman is that he's either Clark Kent or he's Superman. In all the Clark Kent scenes, he is kind of bumbling and awkward. And then in all the Superman scenes, he's super confident and everything. And you kind of don't buy it. And you, it's it's two two-dimensional characters that happen to yeah. be the same character, right? And with Cap, we get both in one. We get the fact that he is confident and strong and a you know actual literal superhero, but also is still kind of trying to catch up on the world or trying to learn how to like have yeah. some social skills he never learned because of you know who he was and that kind of thing so i think that goes a long way to making him feel like a grounded three-dimensional character i think the fact that he still chooses a shield when he mm. gets the super serum is such a pivotal moment for his character like it's the choice to stay who he was it's like this is actually where I'm comfortable is like mm. with the shield. And Howard's offering him like all kinds of fancy shields with different gadgets mm. and stuff. He's like, no, I want this seemingly plain one that is made of the strongest material in the world. I'm like, oh, it's Steve as the shield. Yeah, it's a nice metaphor too uh, of he is still, you know, he's still expecting to get punched by bullies. And I think that's the reason he bonds with Sam so nicely in that initial scene because Steve isn't openly looking for friends and neither Sam, like Sam's like, oh my God, it's Captain America. They kind of have like a casual conversation. And then Sam says, it's your bed, right? It's too soft. And Steve recognizes a fellow soldier. And it's like their mm. morals and some of their background matches and their humor matches. And like, that's why I think Sam is such like a nice organic friend for Steve to make. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Another line that really struck me, like talking about giving the character like a personal agenda is early on uh, Steve is trying to get into the army he says it's not about me and Bucky responds right because you have nothing to prove mm. and there's even when S Steve goes on that tour for Senator Brandt we know that's not where he's really meant to be but there's a little bit of him that's enjoying the hero worship right yeah until he goes to the troops and like realizes he's not fighting the real fight and Bucky gets captured and I do acknowledge what you say in your podcast about the Bucky problem um, no, yeah. <laughs> I spend so much time in fandom and fanfic, I sometimes forget that that relationship is not actually super fleshed out in canon. I, I mean, I don't really have the problem as much. It's it's our, our resident uh, MCU Scrooge, Alex, on the <laughs> podcast. Up until 15 years ago, I would have agreed that like movies should operate on their own. You have movies like Red Dragon, the Sons of Lamps prequel, which ends with like, there's an FBI agent here to see you. What is her name? Credits. Where if you're watching that movie in a vacuum, that means nothing. Like, why? Mm. what? Like, But it's like, well, of course I've seen Silence of the Lambs. And of course I know who Clarice Starling is, right? Um, the end of Batman Begins is is like, oh, someone left their calling card, right? And it's a, it's a Joker, right? If you watch that movie in a vacuum, it means nothing. Like, it's just like, yeah. again, the movie ends in this weird thing. But 
movies are made for a certain audience, expecting that a certain audience knows a certain amount of information, right? Then enter Marvel, who's basically like, we assume you've seen literally everything we've ever made, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which becomes more and more of a problem the more and more shows and movies there are. And I'm a fan, so I've been watching everything. So I've seen everything mm -hmm. at least once. And I'm not a mega fan who could tell you all sorts of stuff and I've seen everything five times or anything like that. But I'm enough that I'm like, you know what? I really appreciate what you guys are doing. This is a lot of fun. But the problem is that sometimes movies are assuming you know how important a character or a plot, you know, story device is based on a previous movie. And they do a pretty good job sometimes of being like, oh, here's a little reference that if you don't know the reference, it won't matter. Like you won't be yeah. bothered. But if you do know the reference, you'd be like, "Ooh, I got that right." Um, but I think I Bucky. That reference. <laughs> I understood that reference exactly. Uh, I was waiting for it. Um, but I think Bucky is is a thing where it's like if you saw First Avenger in 2011, and then you didn't see, and then you just like watch the movies as they came out, then it's like it's a couple years until Winter Soldier. So then when like you realize it's Bucky, you're like, wait, who? Oh, that's his friend from the first movie, right? And then yeah. you get to Civil War and it's like, I gotta save Bucky. It's like, who is that? Oh, right, he's the friend from the first movie. Who? And most people know enough about the MCU to, to know who Bucky is and his importance mm. and that kind of thing. But especially at the time, it's like, there's another movie coming out every every four months or something like that. You're just trying to keep on top of them. You're not rewatching them. You're not necessarily like reading character bios and everything. So it's like, it's that problem of a TV show or a movie series being like, and the character behind the door is this guy. And you're like, who is that? Oh, that's from, that's the guy from season two who was in one episode and now it's season yeah. five and I'm supposed to remember who the hell that is. Right. Um, and obviously Bucky is not that Bucky is not just like some one off character. He's an important character in all three of Captain America's movies. But I think the problem is the movies are hoping and assuming that you, that you remember all of the context that the previous movies have given you. I think also like we touched on this, we did an episode on Atlantis um, yeah, the cartoon movie from way back when mm. um, but talking about side characters because those side mm -hmm. characters were incredibly memorable like even before we went and rewatched it we remembered most of the characters right. um, but we noted that like a lot of the characters especially from the like phase one and two of Marvel like the MCU we didn't really remember like the Howling Commandos pretty mm. un like unmemorable but they were fairly significant and then like Thor's friends from the first Thor movie. The warriors right. that die in Ragnarok. Yeah, so my like idea for trying to find a movie that had good side characters was I was wondering why I never ever see the Howling Commandos or the Warriors 3 in fanfic. Unless they're like background. Mm. Um, right. But with like all the Stephen Bucky fanfic out there, why do we never talk about the Howling Commandos? So that's why we then we dived into that a little bit in um, Atlantis. Mm. But yeah, it's like it's. I feel like they maybe gotten a little bit better at it now, but now there's just so much media there's there's too right. many characters to keep up with but yeah it's like there was definitely a clear problem i think with a lot of the side characters where they just weren't quite memorable enough to hold on to when you came back yeah and i would argue that's kind of who bucky is in the first movie like he's an important part of the movie but he's not super integral to like the the the, the plot in the movie itself he is a perfectly fine side character and, and i want to interject this little thought i had um 
another flat character arc, since we're, that's what we're talking about, is Back to the Future is a famous one. Hmm. Friend of the podcast, Sage Hyden, who has a channel called Just Right, did a whole episode about uh, Back to the Future and Paddington and a couple other movies, uh, Gladiator, that have flat character arcs. And the point of Back to the Future is it's George McFly who has the character arc, right? He learns to stand up to bullies, right? Literally yep. like the, the Captain America thing. And I was thinking, I'm not saying this is better because I think Captain America is a good movie, the, the first Avenger, but what if in a totally alternate universe, we had Steve's best friend doesn't want to go to war at all. And then they both get the message that they can't go. And he's so relieved. Steve is devastated, but his friend is so relieved. And then Steve manages to get in and fight for his country. And then by the end, the friend realizes, oh, I'm inspired now by this inspiring character. Now I'm going to actually do it. Now I'm going to go stand up for myself, right? Um, and again, I'm not saying that should have been the movie, but I'm saying like that's how the sort of standard flat character arc could apply to Captain America is if you have somebody who doesn't believe in what uh, Steve believes, but by the end is transformed. And like because of his flat arc, he has changed one of the supporting characters. Well, you had yeah. an interesting point in your notes how Bucky has everything Steve wants at the beginning of the movie. Right. Mm. Like, he can get with girls, he gets he gets to go to the army. I don't know how much of this is fanon um, instead of canon, but the kind of headcanon I've yeah. operated in is that Bucky got drafted and never wanted to go, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, like, Steve really wanting to go. Um, mm. And I also liked, okay, so, like, three, like, nice Bucky things I did have in my notes... <laughs> Uh, was one that Steve is never better that Bucky has everything he can't mm-hmm. have. Um, mm-hmm. There's never any conflict there. And Bucky like does try to get Steve dates and is relieved that Steve can't go to war because he knows Steve's going to die. Another one is Bucky's introduction is rescuing Steve. I think mm-hmm. the weaker but maybe more obvious choice would be to have like Bucky's the one getting beaten up down the side alley and there comes like his scrawny best friend to save the day and he right. knocks the bully away. He jumps and then on his Steve back. Steve wakes and- up in the hospital <laughs> yeah. two weeks later. And the last one I liked was that yes, Steve is going to rescue Bucky, but he also has been told Bucky is dead. That could be a real possibility. Mm-hmm. So he's really going to save the 107th. Right. Which I thought was a really smart move. Yeah, and I think that that reminds me of one of the things I saw in your notes, Kat, which was that I think the way you worded it is Steve is set in his truth, but that doesn't mean he knows how to pursue it. Yes. Right. And and it's like that is another thing that makes us love the character is that his belief is more important than his life, basically. You know, and that and that's the the main theme we get through this movie, if through the first movie. And I hadn't considered what you just said, but that's true too. It's like one, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I don't care if I'm scrawny or whatever. I I have decided this is the right thing to do. I'm going mm-hmm. to do it. So I'm gonna go fight this bully in the alley, even if I have no idea how to do it. Like I don't need to win the fight. I just need to stand up for myself right um and again it's like i don't bucky may or may not be dead but the right thing to do is to go say like we know where they are we know what's going on and this is him a little starting to play by his own rules right we get a little glimpse of what we're going to see a lot of in the later captain america movies which is him going this is what i believe is right so i'm going to I'm going to pursue that. And it doesn't matter if it's not what my bosses are telling me or the government is telling me. It doesn't matter if I don't know how I'm going to do it. It's absolutely my belief. And that's what I'm going to do. And that's sort of where we get the inspiring, you know, flat arc. Then he gets Peggy's help and a nice line. I think they have later is Phillips is chewing her out. And it's like, oh, because you had a crush. And Peggy comes back with, I didn't have a crush. I had faith. Mm. Mm. 
I love Peggy. I have I have a very big Haley Atwell crush, so you know that doesn't, doesn't hurt. <laughs> We've sort of been talking around the first movie a lot. Steve is kind of set up to be an inspiring character from the get-go. But a few points to make on, like, genre and production in that first movie is it's very reminiscent of a lot of those sort of very patriotic movies from the 80s, things like Saving Private Ryan, but then also just the inspirational movies like Forrest Gump or uh, Rocky. Like, there's this sort of emotionality to it that, I get from that, you know, there's horns and there's like the sepia colors and the themes of like duty. They really leaned into that in the production of the first Avenger. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's this language that was set up in the eighties around like American patriotism and this like inspiration that comes with it. And I think that really sets us up well, just using the things that are already established to make a character inspiring. And then adding in this sort of zero to hero journey of him getting beaten up and having no luck and not being able to go and do what he feels is right, because that's, the message for Steve the whole time is like, he has to do what's right, even if it means going against his allies, even if it means fighting the Avengers. If he thinks it's right, then he has to stand for that and he's not going to budge on that. Yeah, Um, and like keeping that character interesting so they don't get stale is you make what doing the right thing more and more morally gray mm -hmm. as you go through the Captain America trilogy. So in the first one, he's essentially fighting a cartoon villain in Red Skull. Yeah, yeah. Like, Red Skull is the least interesting part of the first movie. <laughs> yeah, easily. Although, Hugo Weaving, giving a... Just having oh, sure. the I time mean, of his life. Yeah. With whatever accent that is. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, two things come to mind. One of which is Joe Johnston, his second movie was The Rocketeer, um, mm. where it's like, that very much feels... It's 91, but it feels like the 80s-est of, 80s-est of movies, you yeah. know, where um, it would just have that sort of, like, here's our here's our action hero kind of thing. Mm. Um, and then another word we haven't said yet on this podcast is underdog, right? Yeah. We talk about Rocky, and we talk about a lot of these movies, um, and I even think, like, Rudy, the sports movie, because when you think inspiring movies, you think sports a lot of sports. movies, right? Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of where Ted Lasso comes in a little bit, and it's usually, like, here is a character who is in no way equipped to deal with this situation, but because of how strong their belief is, they, you know, think about if you have an underdog who believes in, you know, what, let's say what Steve believes, and then goes and just does whatever his bosses tell him, like he's dead in a week in the war, right? Like, like there's no way that he actually survives because he's just like, okay, I guess I'll go here. I guess I'll do. But it's like, you have someone who says like, no, my belief is so steadfast um, that I will not, uh, I will not budge at all. And then by the end, you have an underdog character who is able to be victorious because of them just holding, holding true to their ideals. And I think that's really, um, again, the word, comes becomes inspiring and you can get a lot of patriotism from that too because you you know if your country has been an underdog which you know it's captain america so let's not pretend that we're (laughs) an underdog of a country over here but uh (laughs) um but you know you you love those underdog stories you love Mm. being able to root for someone and and go like i have no idea how you're going to get out of this but i believe in you and i care about you so i'm excited to see what you'll do yeah, one of the interesting things I found in like the first Avenger is when Erskine offers Steve the serum. Steve goes, goes, yep, that sounds good. I'll take that. Uh, there's sure. no like self-doubt. It's not like he thinks he deserves it over everyone else. It's just someone giving him a chance to fight, which is what he mm, wants. Right. But at no point is he like, oh, I'm not sure. Like he doesn't need to be talked into it. 
He's like, yes, I will take those muscles and I will go punch Hitler. <laughs> I've punched Adolf Hitler over 200 times. <laughs> yeah, and then how do you test that underdog? You put him in murkier and murkier situations. So we get to the Winter Soldier and now it's up against S.H.I.E.L.D., which is also Hydra. Fury and Natasha seem like sketchy. Um, he's kind of friends with Alexander Pierce and he works with Romlo in the beginning. So mixing up your enemies and your allies, don't know which ones to trust. Mm. Mm-hmm. Was and trust then, no one in trust no one yeah right. like the person he trusts the most is sam who he's just met and then of course you get to civil war where that final fight isn't against a cartoon villain wanting alien powers from a glowing cube it's i have to right. beat up this friend to protect this friend because mm-hmm. of a lie i told yeah my personal headcanon for why he can't lift Mjolnir in age of ultron is because he's still lying to tony about his parents i love that One of the things I talked about in the Lessons from the Screenplay video that I wrote is what John York calls uh, thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. Mm. So basically the three-act structure, right? So it's like introduce something, give it a conflict, and then resolve it. Like that's the simplest, you know, I always do the like, I went to the store story, which is if you say I went to the store to get bread, well, that's not really a story, right? Mm. And if you say I went to the store to get bread and I got bread and came home, it's still not really a story. Like you could argue it's a story, but like what, but if it's like, I went to the store to get bread, they didn't have any. So I had to do something, right? Even if it's just, I had to go to a different store. Well, it's like, okay, now I understand at least why you're even bothering to tell me this, right? There was a conflict, conflict, (laughs) right? There's conflict and you had to resolve it. So thesis, antithesis, synthesis, Mm -hmm. went to get bread. They didn't have it. I got it. You know, like I figured it out the way that I was talking about it over the entire infinity saga was Steve and Tony sort of, establishing who they are civil war they're complete opposites so they've gone yeah. too far in the other direction so that's their antithesis and then synthesis is end game we see them sort of like fully actualized right mm. but i was thinking about the flat arc in just one movie so looking at the first avenger where how that actually holds true but in a different way where it's you establish a character who believes the truth so there's your thesis right very very simply your character already believes the thing mm. right as opposed to most movies where the character believes the lie they believe you know something that we want them to change their mind about by the end but then the second act the antithesis of it all is it's why it's called the testing arc is you're forcing them to doubt their beliefs or or I would say probably and in most cases you are causing them to suffer as a result of them Right. So it's like a character who is being tortured until they reveal the truth, until they say something. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't want you to be tortured, but I also don't want you to give up the location of where all the good guys are or whatever. Right. So it's like that thing that just makes you go, there's no right answer here. Right. It's like, it's like, please stop torturing him. But also, I agree with what they're doing and I want them to continue doing that. So that's kind of where the antithesis comes in is like, cool, if this is your belief, what happens if you just suffer and suffer and suffer as a result of your belief? And then the synthesis uh, in the case of uh, first Avenger, at least is the character emerges victorious as a result of not changing where if Mm -hmm. we had seen them change, who knows what might've happened, probably something worse than what finally happened because they didn't change, then they are victorious. So I thought it was cool that even when a character doesn't change, we can still see that antithesis at play in the obstacles that they are facing and how the other characters around them are, are responding to them. So I just thought that was kind of neat. It's very well described. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like if you look at all three Iron Man movies, all three of them end with like Tony very victorious. 
in some mm. way. And all three Captain America movies, the mission is complete, but Steve suffers every time. Like he gets frozen, right. and then in The Winter Soldier, he loses Bucky again. And then, of course, Civil, Civil War. War. He loses the Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, when I was writing our lessons from the screenplay video, there's very little Iron Man 2 and 3 in it because I was just like, regardless of what you think of them as a movie, they don't sort of add to the bigger arcs of Tony. You know, it's like we see his big arcs in Avengers and Iron Man 1 and Civil War, and then obviously Infinity War, and especially Endgame. And again, in any other franchise, I'd be like, no, your movie should just be a standalone movie and that's it. But now we've established the MCU is this thing where each movie is basically an act of this Mm. greater story you're being told. And it's like, well, then I guess you better do something in your in your movies. Right. And Iron Man two and three are just sort of like, here he goes again. There's more stuff happening. And then there you go. I think one thing I'll say, and this I got from watching through Paddington two, because that was just a very heartfelt, inspiring movie with many tears had. When you go for the inspiring arc, it's very easy to become preachy. And I've seen a lot of movies that were meant to be preachy and they're just a pain Mm -hmm. to sit through. You've got this sort of preachy media that can really, that tries to use the flat change arc to like force change on the world and on the viewer. But actually there's something really well done in Captain America where it's like, we actually just get to witness a character who is going to stay steadfast in their beliefs. And that's what's going to inspire us. They're not trying to tell us to be this character. They're just showing Mm -hmm. us the character. And it says, maybe this is an option for how we can be. And it's hard and it's difficult, but it stands the test thematically. And Paddington 2 is exactly the same, right? He stays kind. He stays polite. And so everything is right. The world is right. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I'll say, um, just echoing that, is just what is your arc doing thematically? And, you know, mm. as, as you were just saying, like, it's like whatever arc you use, make sure it's for a thematic reason, which, is, you know, don't have a flat character arc just because you couldn't be bothered to write an actual arc, which is, you know, honestly, something like Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of feels like that. They kind of felt like a movie where they were like, we are more interested in this story than Mm. this character. And that's, and that's That's fine. That can be really fun and exciting, right? Right. But it also feels like if they had spent more time or more thought, maybe they would have tried a little hard. You know, and then you get mm. like Last Crusade, where the entire movie is about kind of Indy's character arc. Don't have a negative change arc just because it's dark and cool and you want to subvert ex- expectations. And then don't have a positive change arc just because it's what you're supposed to do because that's what 90% of movies do, right? And it's like, what are you trying to say thematically and how does your character arc support that? And that's why I think it's interesting that flat arcs exist for multiple reasons, as I said at the top of the episode, which is often it's because it's about the refusal to change that is doing something thematic right whether it's something like clockwork orange it's like sort of a dark thematic reason but still it's about like no no the character can't change just because you try to force them to change um or in positive movies like elf and paddington and captain america it's again the character's not changing even though you're trying to force them to change that causes the world to be a better place right and it's like so thematically what you're trying to say is matching to the arc and i think that is the main thing you want to think about is like, what is your theme and how does your character arc actually match that theme? At the end of the day, it's all about theme, right? It's all about what are you trying to say with your your story? 100% agree. One of the most annoying pieces of like an interview is the Game of Thrones writers talking about how they didn't care about theme or character theme arc. Theme is for eighth grade I've ranted reports. about this on the show before. Yep. But <laughs> look where that got them. Yep. Yeah, I, 
100% agree. I always come back to theme. I usually start with theme. And yeah, I guess like my other takeaway is just because you have the super inspiring character, you can still make them funny. You can still make them have flaws. You can still have them be awkward around girls. Whichever, whichever flaws suit the hero. Yeah. Mm. Have your character be Clark Kent and Superman, not one or the other. Yeah. I really liked that analogy, by yeah. the way. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you. This it's was a bit of a ha- bit of a moment after like following you <laughs> since film yeah, school. Yeah. So this is awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. That was episode one of our Marvel Madness series. Huge thanks to Brian for joining us. We've got links to his work in the show notes. If you like the episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe on your platform of choice. We've got five more Marvel episodes coming your way over the next few months, including What If, WandaVision, and No Way Home. If you want to say hi or share your thoughts, we're on Instagram and Facebook, so feel free to drop us a line. Until next time, this has been Kill the Cat.